we were hiring some new people at work and I thought, I'm teaching these people the same thing over and over again. Like, what if I just film it? Mm -hmm. My manager was not on board. I went a little rogue. I'm not going to lie. I went a little rogue and I was like, no, we're doing this. In my mind, I was like, it's a genius idea. Like, I could not drop it. Like, I was just, I was too attached. So I bought editing software and tried to get it expensed through the company. And my manager was so mad that I was going to follow through with this idea. He still signed it. I still got the company to pay for it. And I felt horrible. I cried on the way home because he was like, he yelled at me like, what do you think you're doing? You're not, you have no authority to do this. And I was just like, no, no, no. I believed in my idea. And so I filmed all these training videos. And then welcome back to the Fresh Engineer podcast, where fresh engineers share their stories. I'm your host and mechanical engineer, Anna Reich. And in today's episode, I'm talking to Liz Rowe, who's a mechanical engineer turned self-taught data science manager working at Intel in Oregon in the United States. She also runs a YouTube channel where she reviews software products with over 3,000 subscribers, which is actually how I know her because I randomly found her channel over a year ago and I started watching her videos and leaving comments. At some point, she invited me onto her Discord server and that's how we became friends. In our conversation, we talk about why you should give yourself more homework if you want to graduate top of your engineering class, why you should focus on the manager and not the company when picking a job, how she jumped five career levels from estimating engineer to regional director by strategically switching companies, how she taught herself how to code and that led to her being offered a job as data science manager at Intel and how having a YouTube channel has opened doors for her engineering career she never would have imagined. So I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Welcome Liz. How are you? Good. I'm, I'm actually really excited about this one because not like every day where you get to chat with another female mechanical engineer. So I like very it. True. <laughs> I'm very excited. Uh, yeah, me too. I'm super pumped. Jumping right in, I'd love to start all the way at the beginning, beginning of Liz. Um, where are you from? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a little weird, but okay. Uh, where are you from? Where did you grow up and what were you like as a kid? So I'm like slightly north of Portland, Oregon. So Portland, Oregon is known for being like the home of the weirdos. <laughs> so it's very known for having big personalities, craft beer, you know, um, food, coffee, but it's in the Pacific Northwest, very rainy. It's kind of like where Twilight was filmed, if you've seen that series and that kind of stuff. Have, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I live slightly north of it, out in kind of a suburb area, so I don't live in the city. And I grew up here, that, like I've been in Vancouver, Washington my whole life, but I went to school in Portland. So Portland, I just say, because it's a big it's a big city, so I say that's where I'm from. Growing up as a kid, I was a very misbehaved child which comes it, it comes as a surprise to a lot of people but when I was a kid I just for some reason with the authority and school and the structure of like here you take your little worksheets and go work in your corner just did not work well for me so I tended to get in a lot of trouble just because mainly I was bored and then as a kid I didn't really read a lot of normal kid books I liked encyclopedias so I would read books about like volcanoes frogs very non-fiction which is so funny because now I completely exclusively read nonfiction. So I think that was a trend. But even as a kid, I always wanted to go into science, math. I didn't quite understand what an engineer was. But if you would have saw me as a kid, you'd have been like, oh, yeah, she's definitely an engineer. So that's kind of like not uh, completely unexpected if you saw me growing up. <laughs> so then how did you decide to study mechanical engineering and also where to study, which university to go to? Yeah, when I was picking colleges, I was trying to go to the cheapest, which if you know where I went, which is University of Portland, it is not a cheap school. It's a private Catholic university. And it's expensive because private schools are more expensive than state schools in the US. But I had a lot of scholarship there. And so it ended up being cheaper. And then I also realized that I didn't have to pay to be in a dorm. I didn't have a lot of money. So I needed to stay at my house with my parents and drive in every day. So I tried to go like the cheapest route. And that ended up working out for me. The other thing I liked about the school is it was very academic focused. So there was no parting. It was like very religious school, all about academic, probably like 30 students to a class, you weren't in lectures of like 300 plus people. And then as far as picking the, the engineering degree, I will say I wish it was a little bit more elegant, but I knew I wanted to try engineering because I knew I would regret it if I didn't. But I didn't think I was smart enough. So I was like, oh, you know what? I'll go into engineering. We can fail 
fail out, but at least I can say I tried. And I actually did really well. I don't know why I thought that I would fail and fell out because it has such like a stigma almost to it where it's so hard and you're going to fail out and it's awful and heavy in math. But when I was choosing it, like the first couple of weeks, you have to declare what type of engineering. So there's only four types at the school. There was civil, mechanical, electrical, and computer science. And so I had the degree plans so I could see my future in front of me. And I'm like, I don't know how to code. So I threw that one out. And then I was like, electrical, I couldn't even read the names or like embedded systems. Like I have literally no idea what that means. So I threw that one out. And then civil was like, like steel presses, bridges, and like soil dynamics was a class. I'm like, I'm not studying soil threw that out. So then he ended up, I was like, I only have one left. So mechanical has to work, which I was mainly excited because I saw thermodynamics and I thought, I'm going to blow some stuff up. We're going to do cool stuff. Little did I know there was absolutely no blowing anything up in thermodynamics. There's, it's just math. <laughs> so that's how I picked the degree, which is like, it's kind of a funny story, but at the same time, I wish that I had a plan, but I didn't. I just I just went with my gut and and picked one and went, went along with it. And it worked out. So no regrets. I mean, honestly, that's how I picked as well. So yeah, yeah right. Like, I mean, and Mike has even just like I, I'll just go with the biggest one. It's popular, so it must be good. Yes, yes. But, which in Germany, mechanical engineering is the biggest one by far. I think that's the same here as well. Mm-hmm. It had the biggest class out of all the all the four classes of engineers. Yeah. yeah. What advice would you give to a high school student who's thinking of studying engineering or maybe even mechanical engineering, but isn't sure if it's the right career for them? I would say with with mechanical engineering, I think of it like the Swiss Army knife of engineering. Okay, because you're gonna touch everything. You take a little computer science. You take a little circuits, which is in, you know, electrical engineering. You take a lot of classes with the civil engineers. You're going to touch every type of engineering. And so I, when I went out into the workforce, I started seeing mechanical engineers in weird positions. Like they could just take, they could take an electrical position. They could take a CS position because it's so broad. You can really go into any industry and do anything. So that's why I'm like, if you're not sure, mechanical is a great one because you can kind of flex and fake your way into another type of engineering because mechanical is just so broad. So that's my advice. If you don't know, this one's a really good one. There's lots of jobs. You can do it literally anything. What was your experience studying mechanical engineering? Was it any different from what you had expected? I knew going in, engineering was going to be rough. And I knew it was going to be like math heavy. And so I think there's really no sugarcoating it. It's a hard major. Okay, you're not going to be like just floating through and coasting through. So just if, if you go into that with the right expectations to know that like you're going to be studying every day, you're going to be doing really hard math, you'll be fine. But if you have different expectations, you think you're just going to fly right through it, just like you did in high school, like it's significantly different than high school. So you have to put in more time, more effort. But if you go into it knowing that, you'll you'll be fine. You just have to like kind of mend your expectations of the degree. What advice would you give a fresh engineering student who's, you know, in the first, first week of their studies, how to make it through these hard studies? My biggest thing that I struggled with in college or the engineering degree was the tests. I don't know if that was similar for you, but test taking and homework was the hardest part. That's what makes it hard. The test is getting ready for your test. So uh, the advice I have for test taking, which is only going to apply if you're getting an engineering degree, right? It's not, this isn't outside of engineering degree, but um, I would, you know, they assign you homework problems, right? And they say, do problems one through 20 and do the evens, right? Do the odds, do every single problem in that book. <laughs> so my advice is like, do every single problem, go above and beyond. If they, if they assign you a certain amount of homework, give yourself more homework. And then also read the chapters for the lectures because they'll make 10,000 times more sense because that professor has been teaching the same subject every year. They don't know what it's like to be a beginner. So sometimes it's really nice to just, you know, do a skim to the chapter before you jump into the course or the lecture of the course each week. I know that's extreme, right? Because I'm telling you basically, oh, engineering's not hard enough. You got to make it harder by doing more homework and more lectures. But that's if you want to do very well. If you want to do okay, just do the homework and study for the test, whatever. But I was on the mission of like, no, I'm graduating number one. We're not doing a number two. We're not doing number three. So I kind of went above and beyond and that helped me. I don't know if it helped me in real life because the industry is just so different than college, but I did graduate very well, like very high up. So that's my advice. If you want it, if you really care about your GPA or how you're graded or your marks or however they call them, they call them different in other kind of, uh, grades, grade levels, right? I don't know. Are you, are you guys on like a grading scale A through F? I mean, we have very weird grading scale. Oh yeah. <laughs> we have, we'll get into that. Yeah, we have one to five and one is the 
the best. No, well, we like that. Yeah, ours is like A through F. And it's a GPA. So it all like grades up to like, I think the, the best GPA is like 4.0. So I, I graduated with like a 3.57 or no, 3.97. Close. We're very close to your, your four, you know, yeah. so not perfect, but close. Yeah. Okay. So if you want a 3.97, then follow your advice. Yeah. If you if you want to just be average, then you just got to do the homework and study and don't don't fall behind. Yeah. Falling behind is like, is deadly. Oh, yeah. There's no recovering. <laughs> I'd love to talk about your first job out of university. So you started working as an estimating engineer. What did you do or what was it like for you to look for your first job and how did you decide what to do? Well, the thing with the first jobs is you have to like balance between overthinking it and underthinking it because you can overthink all day and be like, oh, I want to have the perfect job at the perfect industry and the perfect manager. And then you can also underthink it and be like, I just need a job. Just give me anything. So it's a mix. And so the two things I say to look for, for anyone looking for a job is one, be careful what industry you start in because it will probably be the industry you'll be in for a very long time. So right now I'm, I've been in the semiconductor industry, right? So I've taken on different roles, different companies, but they're all within the same industry. So you can get away with kind of jumping around because you're in the same industry. And that's a huge advantage thinking about it ahead of time because I kind of started in the construction industry along with semiconductor, right? So then I realized, oh, to get out of construction, it's very difficult. You almost have to like go backwards. So just be careful what industry you start in if you wanted to move an industry later on. It's a little bit more, it takes a little bit more navigating. And then the second thing that I, I swear by is focus on the manager. It doesn't matter about the company. Company doesn't matter. They're not really like the company itself. There's going to be people within and your manager is going to be have the most impact on your day-to-day -day life, right? This is somebody you're working with every day, eight hours a day. They tell you what to do. They give you feedback and you don't want to be with a horrific manager. So my first job, I had a really, really terrible manager and I did not know it because it was my first job. And when I say that person shattered my self-esteem day and day out, like crying after work, just feeling really insecure about my abilities. And, you know, I'm graduating top of the class and I come in the industry and this person just wrecked everything. And I didn't really get it. But then after I got, you know, a couple newer managers later on that I should have focused on the manager because <laughs> now I have a really awesome manager who like believes in me, gives me great feedback. The way they give you feedback is very important. And when I go into jobs, I ask, how do you give feedback? Because if they use shaming tactics, I'm not into it. You know, if they give you actually good, solid advice and they're supportive, great. But sometimes you have managers who give you very, very um, shame, shaming like tactics, like having you read things out loud in front of your coworkers. I've had that. And it's just like demeaning stuff just to like make you feel like crappy about yourself in effort that you will change it. That's not the way I motivate. So just knowing yourself and then trying to find a good manager in the right industry will really like set you set you up for success. Um, and what does an estimating engineer do? Well, so estimating engineers, right? I had no idea they exist. I didn't even know they were a thing. Okay. When I entered the workforce, I'm thinking mechanical engineers, we maybe design things. I'm not entirely sure. I like thermodynamics. I like e-transfer. Maybe I was going to go into physical sciences. And um, estimating engineer was something they kind of were like, oh, this would be a good fit for you. And at the time, I was like, okay, it seems interesting. What it is, is you basically get a set of construction drawings or blueprints, right? So, you know, that CAD work and stuff, It's it, you can them into blueprints and of a layout of a building and you basically count everything in the building and apply a price to it. Now, that sounds very tedious and boring. But there is so much to learn. And I, I wanted a job where I could like learn for years, right? I didn't want to do the same thing every day. So you have to be able to understand, you know, a generator. You have to understand wiring and sizing of wiring. You have to understand cooling towers, pumps, even just the walls, even paint on the walls. Everything has a price. And so every morning I had this thing where I would wake up and I would watch like three videos on three things that I didn't understand very well, like whether it was PLCs or a type of drywall or just like literally anything controls. How does a like a temperature detector work? You know, just like miscellaneous stuff like that because every single thing was important. I mean, to build an entire building, you have to do everything, electrical, mechanical, computer science is even there. You got to program things, got to put up walls. So there was just a lot to learn and that's why I liked that job. But essentially, you're just counting things and applying prices. There's a lot of coloring. You used to color coordinate things. I used to tell people, I'm like, it's like kindergarten, you just count and color. 
all day long. Yeah. Yeah. Also, before I started working, I had no idea that pricing things is really difficult and really tedious. They don't talk about cost at all in engineering. We don't, we're like, oh, design it. They don't talk about like the cost impacts of design. Uh, it's, it's baffling. I agree. It's like, oh, budget doesn't exist. It's unlimited always. Exactly. I don't know why they do that. Because no, <laughs> now it's, it's super important. And now they'll pay, companies will pay you a lot of money to estimate how much projects cost before they go and invest that money. So it's a good field. Yeah. And even every project, like the decisions are based on cost. Exactly. You need to defend your projects based on cost. It's, it's it, crazy. Yeah. And it's just glossed over in college. And there's no class on it. No. no. Not even a consideration. Yeah. So true. Um, so I saw that you made some career moves within, you know, estimating engineering. That's quite impressive. And I'd love for you to like take me through how you went from estimating engineer at, you were at J.E. JD, Dunn Construction and then senior cost manager and then regional director at Cunning Group. Yeah. So essentially when you're working, right, when you're in the industry, you start to realize what other companies have the same positions, who are hiring for the same position. And getting this structure down is actually really hard because at J.E. Dunn, they're called estimating engineer one, estimating engineer two, and then senior estimating engineer. But at a cost consultancy company, which is your, it's the same exact job, they call them pro, or they call them cost manager, junior cost manager, senior cost manager. So, so it's hard to tell. They're not always a one-to-one, -one, but you can kind of start to tell, okay, where do I want to be? And then you see, oh, they're calling them, you know, senior cost manager. I would love to be that high up and do a couple jumps where if I stayed at J.E. Dunn, it was like, I'd have to go through one, two, and then senior, and then get to a, a manager, estimating manager one, estimating manager two, and then senior estimating manager. So I jumped like five promotion levels by going from one job to another by meeting some other cost managers, seeing the industry and seeing how I compared to them. So I kind of paired for that big jump. I knew I wanted to make a big move and I, I had to think, okay, one, am I qualified? So I had to go work. So I worked with a lot of people um, and that helped me go, okay, that person's a senior cost manager. I could be a senior cost manager. You know, like, so you kind of have to like scope out your competition and see like, okay, are you actually qualified? Because if I'm confident enough, then in the interview, I'll come across like, this isn't an issue. Why are we even discussing the fact that you don't think I'm qualified? You know, so you have to believe in yourself first before you can pull off some of these big jumps. And then once I was in senior cost management, you're higher up, your decisions kind of start to be seen. And that's how I ended up becoming the regional director is there was some movement, somebody quit and they were like, who's going to fill the job? And I had worked, you know, in the industry before, right, for several years. And I was doing very well in my current job. And it just made sense. It just kind of happened like that, like opportunities kind of just come out of nowhere sometimes. So that second one, I wasn't really paired for. It wasn't like gaming, except for when that person did leave. I wanted their job. Don't get me wrong. I was prepping after that, but I they, it was a very quick jump. I think I was five months into a senior cost manager before I took on a director role. But I knew I was ready because, again, you start to see the other regional directors. And I'm like, I actually could get down to the trench level, you know, in the trenches where you're actually doing the calculations. And a lot of these people, there was a disconnect because they'd been so long since they had estimated and were doing like the day-to-day -day work they were just managing. So I felt like I almost had an advantage of being so close. Like I could I could do any job from the bottom job, right? Like the lowest qualified job, the top of anything in estimating. So I felt like I knew it like the back of my hand and that sell it. But you have to sell yourself, you know? They don't just come to you and say, hey, do you want to be a director? No, you have to say, I'm the best person for this job. This is why X, Y, Z. And you got to walk them through it. Um, so you have to learn how to sell if you want to like skyrocket. But a lot of moving between companies, it's very hard to just get back to back promotions at a company. It's just, it's hard to justify. It's usually every couple of years you get up for promotion if you're really good. So you can make a, you can make a better financial move if you switch companies, which sucks because you might really want to stay at one company, but it is what yeah. it is. Now, obviously, since then, you've made a huge career move, which I really want to get into. But for that, I'd love to talk about your YouTube business, because I feel like the two might be related <laughs> on your, your movement. <laughs> you started your YouTube channel in 2020. How did you get the idea to do that? And why did you decide to then go for it? Yeah, so I was working, estimating engineer one. I think I was just being promoted to a two. And we were hiring some new people at work at Jada. And I thought, well, I'm teaching these people the same thing over and over again. Like, what if I just film it? My manager was not on board. I went a little rogue. I'm not going to lie. I went a little rogue. And I was like, no, we're doing this. In my mind, I was like, it's a genius idea. Like, I could not drop 
it. Like I was just, I was too attached. So I bought editing software and like, and tried to get it expensed through the company. And my manager was so mad that I was going to follow through with this idea. And like, he still signed it. I still got it, the company to pay for it. And I felt horrible. I cried on the way home because he was like, he yelled at me, like, what do you think you're doing? You're not, you have no authority to do this. And I was just like, no, no, no. I believed in my idea. And so I filmed all these training videos. And then I got so much credit at work from other people and it drove my boss crazy. And then eventually my boss was like, oh, it was our idea on the way the whole time. I'm like, no, 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 no. I cried. You made me feel so bad and you made it feel like it was such a dumb idea. But I love filming the videos. So I filmed the videos and then people would come and they'd watch them and I got good feedback. And now I actually have heard now that he has started filming more since I left. And I'm just like, I knew that was a good idea. You know, so you got to believe in your ideas. I thought, oh, you know what? I should make YouTube videos. Like, why don't I put some of this on YouTube? I can't necessarily put the work stuff on YouTube, but similar stuff, sharing your screen, recording, just recording a video. So that's how I got into it. And it was really just a side thing. I didn't have a lot of time. So in the beginning, I still have all my videos from the very beginning. It was like once every couple months. They were terrible. I had a laptop that had the little webcam built in. It wasn't even an external webcam. So it, we've come a long way, but that's how I ended up getting started. Cool. And in your own words, what is your channel about and why does this topic matter to you? Yeah, well, it's changed a little bit. It started out just kind of miscellaneous stuff because just stuff I was interested in, just like Notion tutorials and just, and then it went into business and and then I talked about coding, but now I've gotten more of a, I have a path that I like. And so right now it's all about software tools. Mainly I get really passionate about it because there's nothing worse than like using, going through about your day-to-day -day life, right? And then somebody's like, well, why aren't you using this, this tool? Does it automatically? And you pay 10 bucks and you're like, crap, I wish I would have found that tool like three years ago and saved all that time and money. So that's why I like reviewing just, just miscellaneous tools. And some of them are duds, you know, but some of them are really cool. And I'm like, dang, this, this is cool tool. So I like to do that. And I want my channel to almost be a place hub where somebody is just subscribed and then miscellaneous software comes up. They can watch one. They can go, oh, that's not for me. Yes, that's for me, blah. And it's just, it keeps you in the loop of what is going on and what's being used in the industry. So that's kind of like my idea for the channel right now. It's like focusing mostly on software. But again, it's me talking about software. So it's my name. You know, it's not like software with Liz or something. But I just keep it my name because in case I want to change it, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely my go-to now for all kinds of software I like look first if you have a video on it and then and then I go elsewhere if you don't well but. I try to keep it um like realistic I guess like I'll, I'll watch because I watch some people's tutorials and I'm like I'm like oh it sounds so professional like it sounds like too rehearsed or they're doing way too much with it like I just need a basic just get me up and running you know basic 10 minutes I don't need like a deep dive into how the API works for the software like you know I just need give me the basic and so that's kind of what I go for and dumbing it down I like to dumb it down to like a third grader level because I was I would watch these videos and be like oh my gosh like they're talking about API what the heck's an API you know and then you go in where I'm more like this is a, a coding bridge think of it like a bridge you know like I'm using it like analogies because I know what it's like freaking lost in these tutorials so that's kind of my spin on it at least. I love that so you've built the channel into a super impressive business what are three actions you've taken with your business that have been the most impactful? I'd say the first one which I think everyone struggles with is letting people see that you're trying. It's the hardest hurdle to get over because like it's it's your worst fear. You don't want people to like think, oh, who does she think she is like posting about this? You know, look at her trying to make something of herself. Like it's it, you almost feel embarrassed. You're like, who am I thinking that like anyone wants to watch me? But you have to get over that. A lot of people talk about it, about how hard it is past your friends and family just judging and seeing you put yourself out there. But that's the number one thing. If you want to do anything in life, you have to get over it. You just have to not care. You have to put your show your work and not care that people are going to see you trying. Yes, you're trying. I'm trying to build a YouTube channel. I want more subscribers. Thank you. Sorry. Move on. Like it. So that's the first thing. A couple of things that are more actionable is the first one would be hiring an editor was a game changer. Now, I used my own money in the beginning and that hurt. I'm not going to lie. It hurts to like spend my money on an editor, especially because my editor is expensive. Like, you know, 1500 bucks a month is not cheap. So I would put together some money, hire for like a month, and then I would cancel. Like it was kind of ridiculous at first. Eventually the business started paying for it, which is much nicer. But when I tell you it was a game changer because I could just focus on scripting and filming thumbnails, which is already a lot, three people's jobs right there. So getting rid of the editing piece was just so nice because now I have a routine where I just have to review the video. 
I don't have to spend hours and hours. I can just focus on uh, content and filming, then sending it off to her. So huge difference. I don't think people get how big of a difference that makes on your like life work balance. The other thing that I like to do that I tell everyone is to batch. What I mean by that is when I film my videos or script my videos, I script four or five of them. And then once I have four or five that are ready to film, then I put them in a ready to film column, like a Kanban board on Notion. And then I will batch film them five in a row, just pound them out. And then I'll batch make the thumbnails, you know? And if you do the similar task, you almost group them by task saying, okay, I'm going to script here and script all of them. And then I'm going to film and I'm going to do the thumbnails. Yes, it gets a little boring, but it's very efficient. So like the other weekend, I batched like four, four videos. We're editing them right now. And then I'll make the thumbnails for the four videos. I just prefer it that way. It feels efficient. I can produce a ton of content by batching. So that's another thing that like, don't just film your video, then make the thumbnail, then and just do one and then go back to the next video. I, I feel like that's just slightly inefficient. Yeah. What are your next goals or plans for your business? Well, what I'm focusing on this year and the next couple of years, I'm going to give myself a little bit of a break. Sometimes I can get upset that I'm like, why am I not quitting my job yet? You know, why am I not super successful? But I'm going to give myself a little bit of break on that. I'm going to keep my job for at least a couple more years before I like kind of dive in, into the deep end. But I'm experimenting with different streams of revenue or sources of revenue because right now or in the beginning, it was mainly just affiliates like random. It's just luck of the draw, which affiliates get clicked in your in your videos. And, and it just feels very lucky. And I don't like that. So I just want to start building a couple more sources of revenue and try to experiment. So I'm trying online courses and I'm going to try a couple sponsorship deals and see if like, is it awful? You know? Know, like, do I want to continue? And then I'm also trying um, consulting, which is new for me. I've never really done like freelance consulting, but I'm just trying to get some income and, and get some ideas flowing of like, maybe I can, you know, diversify the income a little bit. So it's not just ad revenue and um, affiliates. And I'm not mm. like heavily reliant on those things. So that's kind of my focus for the next few years business wise is getting that cash flow down because it's make or break for the business. Honestly, at the end of the day, you have to make money with your business. Yeah. And the consulting you do is engineering consulting, right? Yeah, I do software consulting, which is kind of fun because it relates to the software channel, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of the times if I come across a new software through consulting, I'll do videos on it for the YouTube. Or if they look like they need a software, I'll reference my YouTube videos and say, look, does this look interesting? Maybe we could try something like this. I experimented. Here's a link. So it, it, it's almost full circle. And it also it also impacts my work as well. Like my day to day job at Intel, I'll, I'll use the tools that I find on the YouTube channel and be like, we should use this here, you know? So it's it's weird, like full circle business consulting, you know, YouTube and my, and my day job. Do you have any advice for engineers looking to start a side hustle? So maybe both consulting or something similar or freelancing or also YouTube or you know, something in the digital place? I would say just if you're going to start a YouTube channel, I would say there are other advantages besides the money and focus on those advantages so you don't get discouraged that the money isn't coming. So the, the advantages other than money for a YouTube channel is the ability to show off your work and eventually use that for a job interview. So when I interviewed at Intel, I put my YouTube channel like on my resume and they watched my videos. So there are advantages and they thought it was the coolest thing. You would have thought that I cured cancer. Okay. They were like, this is so much work. Do you even sleep? You know, like they are very impressed by people with YouTube channels. I don't know why. I never really thought about it. I just kind of threw on there. I was like, eh, my work's on there. So focus on those advantages of networking, opportunities, meeting other YouTube YouTubers, you know, getting cool comments from people, that kind of stuff. Focus on that if the money isn't coming. Because the it took two years for me to make my first dollar on YouTube. It was a very long time. This is not a get rich quick side hustle, start it up and with less than a year, you have $10,000. It's just not. Uh, it's a long game. So you just got to treat it like this is just my hobby. And it opens up doors that wouldn't open up if I didn't have a YouTube channel and focus on that. So you're not getting like all upset that you don't have enough subscribers or you don't have enough money yet. Because that's the meant that's the hard part is the first two years in my opinion granted i am in like almost two and a half years so i'm i'm obviously gonna feel like that's the hardest part but maybe in five years i'll say something else was harder i don't think so <laughs> i also think it was the hardest part or hopefully not i mean that would mean there's something even harder to come <laughs> yeah um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna hope that that was well everyone says like the first hundred subscribers is the hardest to get and i agree with that and mm -hmm. i think the thousand was really hard too now i don't even like check the subscriber count because i've just i've got a rhythm now and i'm not stressing you know <laughs> It, it. I feel better. I feel much better than, you know, a year or two ago. What about a side hustle like consulting or freelancing? Do you 
have any advice for, you know, getting your first gig or just how to make it work? Yeah, I would say networking, networking. And I don't mean like lame networking. I, you know, everyone says, oh, network. I mean, like when you talk to somebody, tell them that you do business on the side. You know, they should like your friends should know about it. Your people that you meet should know about it. Open yourself up. I like to force networking events. And a lot of people think that's horrific. But <laughs> I like to go to club meetings or board meetings that are like for industry. So there's an in, there's a board for everything. Okay. There's like over here, we have Society of American Military Engineers. I go to those meetings. Am I a mil in the military? No, but I'm an engineer. So I'm allowed to go. You know, like, so it's just like, and I'm American. <laughs> so there's like, just go to those things that are like anything related in your industry. Um, I'm also on like an industry advisory council for my college. So sometimes I'll chat with other business owners who have the time to be on these boards. And then I kind of pitch myself to them. And then they're like, we actually need somebody to set up the system and I, I could do it. You know, so it's like putting yourself out there and just making sure people around you know that you um, want to want to do work. And that's how I got the first couple jobs was just mm -hmm. chatting and going to board meetings and just saying, hey, I'm I'm cool. I know how to do things. Hire me. <laughs> how has having a YouTube channel changed you even maybe impacted the way you approach work? Oh, I would say the biggest thing for me that YouTube's done is public speaking and confidence. So public speaking, I mean, like almost just at work, just chatting with coworkers at work or giving a presentation at work or you know, almost selling. I've learned to sell by on, on YouTube. So by being on YouTube, you're selling yourself. You're having a personality. You're showcasing things. You're walking through tutorials and stuff. And I mean, if you film a video, several videos every week, you're going to get better at public speaking and selling yourself and having conversations. It's just you filming yourself and you practice and you watch yourself and then you give yourself feedback. Of course, you're going to get better at talking. So I noticed a huge shift where I was kind of just kind of quiet in meetings. I didn't really talk. Now I speak things. I share my screen. I go in depth. And I just, it's almost like a YouTube video, but like they're live. You know, so that has helped significantly because I've, I've had a few people come back to me and be like, you are a different person, you know, like because I was pretty quiet on my first job. Um, and then I started to get YouTubing and all that. And, and the confidence comes too, where I'm not afraid to lose my job necessarily because I know that YouTube's making me money. Granted, is it going to replace that? No, but I would be okay, you know, and then it also opens up doors. So any of these companies that I work with would potentially hire me. So it's like, I know there's more options than there used to be for me. So the confidence of just being like, I don't need to work necessarily. I can go find another job very quickly, you know, put your your resume out with your YouTube blank. Like it'll get, so it's like the confidence in the public speaking that comes from filming so many videos and entertaining and that kind of stuff. It, it's soft skills that like sprinkle throughout your work life. It's very weird. Um, and it happens in like 1% inches. So you're not going to really notice until like it's been a couple of years and you're like, holy crap, I am, I am way more confident and way more talkative than I used to be. Now let's talk about your big career move. You went from working as a regional director and cost estimating to being a data science manager at Intel. Mm -hmm. Why and how did you decide to make this career move? The career move was, was definitely strategic. I don't think I had it completely planned out, but when I was at my first job, so Jade on construction, right? Estimating one, estimating two. I knew that I wanted to do a little bit more with coding. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do, but I thought, you know what? Everything is going into coding. It was that whole like every, all these new software products were popping up, like Notion and all this stuff. And I just was like, you know what? I feel like it would be a smart to get ahead of it and start learning coding computer science. So I started with like VBA, which is like your Excel coding and macros. Okay. It's like the, it's like trash. You do not want to start with VBA. I don't, I do not recommend it, but it was applicable to like Excel spreadsheets, which I was working in a lot. And then I started taking SheCodes courses, which is front end development. And I thought maybe I'll do that, but I didn't know the difference between the different languages. So I didn't know what front end was. I didn't realize it was a website coding. So it had absolutely nothing to do with my job. But I just thought like, if I just keep learning more and more of these tools like Power Automate, Python, SQL. I just kept learning. I was always up to a always up to a, a course. If you asked me at any moment, you were like, what course are you taking? I could I could point on the screen and, and pull it up and show you exactly how far along I was. I was just very into keep learning. And I thought in the future that I could pivot into more of a data focused role or a computer science role. And that seemed kind of appealing to me. So I kind of had that planned out, but did I know exactly what company and where I was going to do it? No. But I figured if I posting on YouTube on coding stuff that if I did want to go into coding one day, I couldn't say that I coded at work necessarily every day. I used a couple of my coding stuff at work, but I could point 
point them to the YouTube channel. So I could use the YouTube channel to pivot. And that's what I ended up doing. So I kind of had it planned out. Then when I was at the cost consultancy firm as the regional director, I was enjoying my job, um, but I didn't have time to do a lot of coding and that kind of stuff. It was more of a people management role. And my good friend went to Intel and then said, hey, I can get you an interview. And so I applied for a estimator role, right? I'm like, I'm in estimating. I better suck it up and just like, just accept the fact that I'm stuck in estimating for the rest of my life. But I did enjoy estimating, don't get me wrong. But then when I went into the interview and I linked my YouTube channel to the interview or on the resume, they watched the resume and they they talked to me about not being an estimate, which was completely caught me off guard because I, I did not even like anticipate that. They were like, you look like you're into more data and coding based on your YouTube channel. Would you be interested in doing a new role that we haven't really developed here ever? And I thought, wow, they're gearing it towards me. Like, why didn't I think about that? So I'm like, genius. Um, Absolutely. So I ended up kind of pivoting into that role and it was very undefined. My job is very undefined. It's not a role that's very common. It was in the estimating department though. So the key here is I stayed in the same industry, but switched jobs. So it's all semiconductor construction data that I'm handling, right? So you can make these pivots if you are in the same industry and you just kind of switch roles and you have something to back it up, like the YouTube channel. That was like really the only thing I needed because otherwise they wouldn't have never known that I liked coding and that kind of stuff. Yeah. What do you think are some signs to look for that it's time to switch jobs? So when it comes to switching jobs, you have to think what type of person or work life do you want? For me, I'm a very ambitious person. I want to climb that ladder as fast as I possibly can, right? Very different from maybe another person's approach of just trying to get a good job and just work and stay in their little bubble. I'm going for a career growth. So my just take that. My advice will be more towards ambitious engineers who are like ready to climb the ladder. So when you realize that you are poeing and you're doing the same thing every day, you may be very good at it and you may be getting lots of compliments, but that's not necessarily a good thing. You're getting compliments that you're the best at this particular task. Red flag, because there's somebody out there that's better and you're not learning from them. You don't want to be number one for that long, you know? So I'd say when it starts to plateau and let's say you've advanced as much as you can and you're plateauing and you realize, you know, I'm not actually learning a lot. It's time to jump, in my personal opinion. And it kind of depends. If you love your manager and they have a plan for you at the company, don't jump. You're doing great, then then stay. But your manager has to have a plan for you. If your manager is not advocating for your growth and saying, I want to get you to the next grade level or position or whatever, and they don't have a plan for you and they're not communicating that to you, they don't have a plan if they're not saying it. So if your manager isn't advocating and not talking about plans with you, start there first. They seem hesitant, then look around, you know? So you got to focus on how much you're learning, how much you're growing as a person and, and how much work you're repeating. So you got to kind of be scrappy, in my opinion. So that's kind of at least my advice for people who want to just jumping and progressing in their career. I'm always looking out for what I stop learning. Right now in my current job, I'm learning a lot. I learn a lot of new stuff all the time. So for me, it's not an issue. And then the next step for me would be having those conversations with my manager and just making sure that we're on the same page. Like I'm trying to get to a director level. Thank you. <laughs> Let me get there. Yeah. So, being clear. Yeah. Mm. What do you actually do as a data science manager and how does that fit into the overall business of Intel? Okay, so my, my job's a little odd. <laughs> I will say, let's start with that. Because it's not defined, right? In this department, there really wasn't any data science people, right? This is a first job. So it's customizable, which I love because I have a bunch of really unique skills. I have people skills. I have selling skills. I have, you know, computer science skills. I got engineering skills kind of mixed together. It's a very odd and, and estimated. So it's a very odd mix. So I tend to be the person who gets jobs or project or solving projects within Intel that nobody wants. They're like the the projects people avoid, okay? They're like, oh, um, take this Excel spreadsheet. This guy quit and we don't know how it works, but we really need somebody to like figure out the math and how it all works and blah. Like nobody wants to untangle that. Nobody wants to take that on and then move it into a database and do all the fancy stuff with it. Nobody wants that. It's very unknown and they almost don't even want to dive into it. They don't even know what they're asking you for. So I tend to get in the weeds um, of projects and that's so my manager thinks of me like, okay, I have something 
something. It doesn't fit into any specific category. I, it's very important, but who do I give it to? Oh, we'll give it to Liz. She'll just take it and run with it. So it's a very nice job, but it's very, each project is completely different. So one project may include a lot of Excel. One project might be Python. Another project might be Angular and a front end development um, focus. And I'll pair up with a couple of people, but I'm usually the lead and then I'll run with it. So it's almost, it, I'm almost just like this person that you just throw at projects that nobody really wants. But that's a good, it's a good position to be in because it means you're valuable, right? Hmm. So as far as like, you can't even define the job. That's the hard part. Like, I can't tell you what I do because every project is completely different. It's a very, it's a hard job to have because you have to keep learning. Can you paint a picture of your workplace? So where are you working? What are you wearing? And what does a typical day look like? Well, I I do work from home. So I do sit in like my home office. I do go in every quarter. And when I used to work in construction uh, at JD Dunn Construction, I wear hard hat, boots, jeans, button ups, you know, kind that was more of the work the work uh, wear that you would see and I would I remember I would look at the guy's boots and be like what brand is that like in my mind I'm like okay it has an American flag and I'd be like the boots with the American flag <laughs> so that I would get like the same brand everyone was wearing there were a lot of Carhartt like I would see the tags that they had and then I would copy it so there was strategy there but now I don't wear boots and hard hats and stuff that often so I tend to go for more like professional I always dress for as if I'm a freaking run in the place as if I'm a director so I wear lots of like very long, long items, power items, you know, button-ups are great, but I tend to go a little bit more formal than most just because, well, I'm also the only woman. Like there's only a couple women in the department and the majority of them also wear really nice clothing too. So I find them, I try to mat them as well. Uh, so it, it's hard because the guys can kind of get away with just wearing jeans and stuff, but I can't wear je skinny jeans or something. Well, I'm not gonna wear skinny jeans to work. So, you know, you have to kind of match the other people around you. So I tend to do that. But I do, there is a company, if any, any women engineers out there, they they make yoga pants disguised as work pants. They're like really thick and they like have the fake business pant pocket called mm -hmm. Beta Brand. I have every size and fit you could find because it is, you walk in, you look like you're wearing business slacks, but like so stretchy, so nice. Just a thing. I need to get those. I, I'm telling you, it was the best thing I've ever found. I'd love to actually dive into that a little bit, into you being or working as a woman in engineering. Have you experienced any challenges related to that? And what were those? And what are your tips? It's interesting because when you start working, you come out of college, right? You're working with people your age, right? And usually it's a pretty good mix. Like in my engineering class, yeah, it was majority male, but there was still like a good amount of females. You get into the workforce, females disappear. I don't know where they went. They're gone. And then you're working with a bunch of older people. So not only are you fighting your gender, you're fighting your age. So like you go out and you're like, okay, now I'm working with just a bunch of old men like there's just no sugarcoating like it's just a ton of men um and majority white men so you you kind of go from being like almost in this nice pool in college of diversity and then you come in and you're like whoa this is very different than what i anticipated for the the challenges of being a woman engineer is you're also young so you come across like inexperienced young kind of chick you know and you tend i tend to see this a lot women always are taking the meeting notes what is that why is that a thing and, and they're always the ones scheduling like happy hours and events. Like the amount of times where I'm like, do to do, do my work. And then I get an invite to do a team builder, a team builder. And I see on the invites, all women. Yeah. Okay. I'm on the team builder committee because I'm a woman. Thank you. That's very kind. So I decline that crap because it's like, you're not asking, you know, Joe or Josh or whoever, or Jake on the cubicle next to me to do those kind of weird asks or to like hand out waffle tickets at a brunch, you know? They didn't go to any of the men. They were like, Liz, can you pass out these waffle tickets? Well, I'm like, you're an assistant now. I'm not an engineer. I'm an assistant. And they mix those up. They're like, oh, you're a woman. You must be assistant. Let's put you on some committees and get you involved. It's like the weirdest thing. And the meeting notes I can't stand because even as women, the women running the meeting notes, when they have when they have to like take a sick day, they'll invite another woman to take the meeting notes. I'm like, guys, can we stop doing this? So those are the things to watch out for is like you'll tend to be seen more as an assistant and asked to do assistant type tasks and not engineering tasks. And I just have to remind myself, you don't have to be so nice that you don't decline it because Jake is declining those invites. <laughs> That's why they're not asking him. So decline them. Like you've got to be treated like like your coworkers. So that those are like some of the bigger ones. Obviously, there's going to be some like other weird stuff dynamics going on. I've definitely had those one-off calls 
where they'll like say something like mildly sexual and I'm like, um, I don't think that's a very appropriate thing to say. But for the most part, the men are your biggest advocators. I've met some of the some of my biggest advocates in my career development have been men. And so you can't just like blame them completely because they, there's a lot of men who are like, you're a badass. You go like you're the best one here. You need to tell them, you know, there are some really good male advocates who are your coworkers who will help stand you up and point out that kind of discriminatory kind of crap. So, you know, there's some challenges, but there's definitely people there who are rooting for you. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the meeting notes. I completely refuse to take <laughs> meeting notes. If someone asks like, who's going to take meeting notes? And then they all look at, at me and I'm like, is that really okay. their personal scribes? And it's every time. And you know what? They they will never notice it. Until I said something, like my manager was like, what? I'm like, no, no, it's every time. It's a woman. We only have like four women in the entire department. Like it should be very obvious out of the out of the 60 people that you're only having, you're switching between all the women. So yeah. it's a challenge. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that bad. But it's just something that's so annoying, you know? And it just, it just makes you realize that there still is lingering stuff around. Yeah. And I think it's just like a representation of a lot of things that kind of get loaded on you that are not getting loaded onto the men. Yeah. It's, it's just so like tiny. Yeah. Yes, they add up. It's so tiny. And so they're like, oh, you take meetings. Oh, you handle the waffle tickets. Oh, you do the team builder. Oh, can you schedule the social happy hour? Oh, can you can you design this weird logo for this thing? Oh, can you do the newsletter? It's just like anything that's design, pretty, traditionally pretty design or assistant like tasks. They just get thrown at you while, you know, your coworker just gets to do his job and his job only and then it's like almost unfair because i just spent all this time doing this extra stuff and now they're like almost at an advantage because they don't have any of that kind of stuff so it, it adds up over time you know and that's the problem because it gets it's such a tiny of an ass that you don't want to be a total jerk and be like no find someone else to hand out the waffle tickets it just adds up slow and slow and slow and then over years hours of work hours and hours and hours of work <laughs> yeah we had a work party where i was standing in a group of women and we were like there's no table set up by the, the guys that organized this should we pull up a table and then we were like no no let's let's watch and see what happens and then we just stood there we we're like okay i guess they're like <laughs> waiting for a table to appear out of thin air which didn't happen because we didn't do it and love it so, and we didn't band together you literally have to like kind of cooperate to not do that shit so that yeah exactly mm. i'm very open about it yeah. super open about it and sometimes I'll, I'll be like even to like my coworker, i'll be like hey dude and she's a chick and i'll be like why did you have this other chick do the meeting notes give it to a dude uh -uh. call it out i'm like like we gotta be our own advocates, guys. Um, what are some of your favorite and least favorite parts of your job as a data science manager? Ugh, the autonomy that I get. And I mean, I could just be manager dependent, right? Because every manager has a different working style. But for being a data science manager, at least in my department, because it's more of a vague role and you're, you're working with data and that kind of stuff, you tend to get a little bit more autonomy on how to do your job. So my boss gives me so much space and he's so supportive and he goes, you know, you're the lead, do what you need to do learn what you need to learn. I think the thing that sucks the most, and I think a lot of people relate to this, is the the hardness of getting people or the struggle of getting people to change. I, anytime I want to bring in a new product or bring in a new software application or something like that or have a new idea, it's changing the company slightly in little minute ways. And coworkers, they don't want it. There's a template for that, blah, blah, blah. We, we have a standard operating procedure for that. That's not what we do. That's not how we've done it in the past. And that kind of stuff is especially when you're in a tech role and trying to advocate for different tech tools or different things that you think will help. It's very frustrating, right? Because you come up with these great ideas, you you did the research, blah, and then they just don't want to use it, you know, just because it, it's not changed. But you, there's, you know, certain people are change makers, right? They stir things up. I'm one of those people. You're not hiring me to just do the same old thing over and over again. Like you're going, I'm going to mix things up. I'm going to cause a little bit of an issue, some problems, that kind of stuff. So I just have to remember that you can have ideas ideas and you can pitching them just because people aren't taking them and changing the way they do things every single time you'll get one win out of every 10 <laughs> out of every 10 so you just have to keep pitching ideas and don't let it discourage you so that's the that's the two things i love the autonomy of the work but i also being in a data role you have a lot of influence on software and technology and not everybody wants to change yeah what is one misconception about your job or your industry that most people get wrong i would say a lot of people 
people think when we get technical degrees, like in like an engineering degree, that you should know everything, that you learn everything that you need to learn in college and you don't really need anything after. It's like so wrong. You learn all this stuff in college and it's really hard stuff. Don't get me wrong, but I use like maybe 1% of what I learned. I'm not pulling out a psychrometric chart and looking at the humidity and other, other crap and the dry bulb versus wet bulb temperatures that I dove into in a thermodynamics course. We're not using that. So a lot of people are like, oh, you have an engineering degree. You should like know everything and that's all you need to know. But it's like, I've actually learned way more outside of college than I did in college. So you learn a lot on the job. That's why I'm like, people just get the degree and you'll be fine. It's never as hard as college. College is way harder than what I do now. So I'm like, get the degree, get the little certificate and then you can learn the rest later. So a lot of people are like, I could never do engineering. I'm like, all you have to do is get that degree. You get that piece of paper, you'll be fine. So true. You can literally like never do the, th the things you hate again. You exactly. can stop that doesn't need them. You didn't like fluid mechanics? You can completely avoid that industry. What advice would you give someone looking for their first job in your industry? Oh, looking for their first job? Yeah. Um, okay, this is going to be kind of like not advice you're ever going to get. When preparing for a job, I knew you were saying kind of looking, but preparing for a job, we talked about looking, right? Mm. Looking, you want to focus on industry and manager. Mm. If you focus on those two things, you'll be fine. When it comes to preparing for a job, you can't really anticipate what technology they're going to use, right? So my best advice, <laughs> yeah, this is going to sound weird, is to focus on your typing speed. And I know you're like, what well, is like, that has nothing to do with anything. No, it is the biggest impact that you can have on your efficiency and like fastness and quickness in a way. Because I started working and in engineering school, everything was like handwritten. You're doing equations, blah. So I didn't really like type a lot. Mm. In the industry now, I type every day. I'm typing all day, every day. So what I thought was, I took a typing test like my first day at work because I noticed freaking fast typers. And I'm like over here pecking away like 28 words per minute. And so I took like speed typing tests and got it up to 80 words per minute. And I can, that was like the number one best thing I've ever done for my career was to do typing tests. You know, it just doesn't make any sense, but it, it's a huge impact, huge impact. So if you don't know the technology and you don't know what to study and you're kind of prepping for your first day, just get really, really fast at typing and using a computer, like all the hotkeys and stuff. So, and then you'll be pretty good from there because then you can learn the software and all that and the day-to-day -day job stuff later. But again, it depends. If you're not on a computer all day and you're in the fab and you're, you know, more hands-on, then don't take that advice. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard that advice, but it makes sense. I know. I was saying, I was like, it's kind of a weird advice, but honestly, I wish somebody would have told me to work on my typing skills. You know, it's, it's a weird one. A lot of people take it for granted too. Some people are good at typers, but if you can get your typing speed up, that just makes everything faster. Emails, writing up memos, just everything. What are some other industries where you could work as a data science manager? Other industries feel like I could work anywhere because my job is so broad. I mean, think about it. If you go into data, data science or a data role or data engineer or anything like that, you're, it's just the only thing that's changing is the type of data. Mm. Whether it's construction data or data on random products or data about the weather, I don't care. It's all analyzed the same. It's all math and cleaning data and making cool tools and informing decision making. Everyone uses data to make decisions. So any company, needs a data science, data science manager, somebody who's looking at the data to help inform decisions. Some people don't use data to inform decisions, but it's always good to at least have that. So that's why I, I kind of like the fact that I transitioned because it's I don't have to just stay in the construction semiconductor industry. Yes, yeah, quite smart. Like your first move with, within the same industry, but to a quite different job. And then from there you could go. To yes, the same exactly. Else. Well, and there's a book called Pivot. I haven't read it, but I read the summary and that's basically what she says in the book. Um, but it's one that I want to read. And I think I basically took her advice without reading the book. Because I, I, I think that was, when I read the summary, it was like, yes, move within the industry and then switch. And there was a couple other ones where you could move to the job you want and then switch to the other industry. That was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's great advice. And no one teaches you about like smart career moves. He's not at yes. university or even at work. Yeah, smart career moves. I mean, you can shave 10 years off your career by a good like strategic uh, career move. Mm. I recently heard the word career capital used for like, describing not just like, you know, the skills you learn, but also just being in a profession or like having knowledge, like expertise, experiences, everything combined that can kind of transfer to a lot of different industries and jobs in case your industry dies out or whatever versus yeah. too specific in something that d doesn't. Yeah. Change. And then they talk, they talk, I read in a book, I think they're called like transferable skills. Mm. So any soft skills, transferable, right? Selling, you sell in every job. You sell yourself, you sell products, you you convince people to use a certain uh, software tool, right? So selling is one of those or people skills, which you develop through YouTube, 
talking, public speaking, giving a presentation. I mean, it doesn't matter what the presentation's about. That's a skill that can transfer from one industry to another. So that's why I kind of kind of like that kind of stuff. Um, and always learning. So some of the technical stuff, the software, I think it's good to like touch everything, but you don't really have to like know it all before you start a job. Mm. That's just stuff that you that's it's so dependent on what job you're in. Like Intel happens to be a Microsoft heavy user. So we use a lot of Microsoft products where if I went to Google, I would be so behind, so behind because yeah. I've been on a Microsoft platform for like four years. So it's really dependent even on what company you're at. But then you, you know how to learn. So exactly. The ability to learn quickly. Very important. Yeah. I'd love to transfer a little bit to your personal life in future. Not too personal, but uh, just a little bit more. So um, are there any ways in which being an engineer has impacted your personal life or the way that you think about things or even what you notice? Yeah. Well, so when I was younger, I really thought I was like a dumb person. Like I genuinely, my growing up, you know, I was never really, I never really had like a lot of common sense or like I was never really good at regurgitating information. And I was just missing a lot of stuff. And you're developing, you're growing, you're coming out of like adolescence. And I just thought I was like a dumb person. Like it, I was slow to learn things. I'd be in math class. I'm like, I'm slow. And when I challenged myself to go get an engineering degree and then I got the degree, it's like a badge of like, look, I actually am a smart person. So even if I feel dumb, I can still like point at something and be like, see that degree? That means I'm not dumb. So anytime I get insecure, I just remember I'm an engineer. I got an engineering degree. I was number one in my class. You know, so it, that to me is like almost something to fall back on. And that's how it's impacted me the most like mentally. So when I get in a meeting and a guy tries to make me feel stupid and, you know, I ask or I ask a question that's completely valid and they're like, this has nothing to do with that. And I feel all insecure and like, I must be dumb. And then I think, no, 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 you have a degree. <laughs> you are qualified. Now, you know, sometimes that can go a little too far because you're too dependent. Like if someone took away my degree, oh, I'd be devastated. Like my identity, you know, so you yeah. don't want to be too much on it. And that's why I'm, I'm reading actually a really good book called The Good Enough Job. And it's all about disassociating your identity from your work because obviously I take a lot of pride in engineering and stuff. And if somebody took that away, I would feel I would go through an identity crisis. So that means you should be developing, you know, cooking skills and other skills that like if so, if one of them went away, you wouldn't be like shattered as a human. But I would say that's the biggest impact of having the degree, just knowing that you can solve problems and that you're a smart human. But just because you have a degree, though, doesn't necessarily mean that you are smart. Because there's a lot of people who have engineering degrees who I've looked at and I'm like, I don't know about you. Not the sharpest person I've ever met. So it doesn't automatically make you smart. Um, So keep that in mind. That's another like misconception, I think. Uh, anytime I say I have a mechanical engineering degree, they think I'm smart. And I'm like, you know what? I could be very dumb. I, you don't know that. You, like, I know I'm smart, but like you don't, you can't be impressed because you don't know. <laughs> That's true. What are your career goals going forward? Where do you see yourself in, let's say, five years? In five years, I hope that I would be running my own company, right? So I have an, my own company and I have YouTube's wrapped in it and consulting and all that. And I would love to just kind of run with it. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if I'm going to get there in five years or if that's after five years and then I quit my job and then I go run after it. My, I have two kind of scenarios in my mind. One, I'm either I've quit my job and I've taken YouTube and all that and the consulting all full time. The other side is like, what if I just develop in my career and then that stays a side hustle forever and it just slowly gets bigger, you know, and then I don't put so much pressure on it because my day to day job pays the bill. So if I miss a YouTube upload, it's not the end of the world. It's my life livelihood isn't attached to it. So I'm kind of toying with those two ideas because I love like the career moves. I love helping run a company when it's not my company, you know, because you can take more risks. You're willing to take a little bit more risks because at the end of the day, it's like if you make a bad decision, they could, they could just fire you and you could go on and do something else. You can't at your own company, you make a risk and you blow it and you're bankrupt. It's like you have to start a new company. And like, I don't know, to me, I'm like, I kind of like having the separation. So I'm toying with both ideas. The plan is like, I'll be I'll be higher up um, at Intel and running YouTube or just fully running YouTube. And would that company, if you go full time on it, would that be also YouTube consulting or is there anything else that you're kind of excited I, about doing? I would love to like run the YouTube channel and use it to generate money using sponsorship and affiliate and then use that bucket of money to hire my friends and build cool software products. That would that would be an ideal world where I would rent out a space and then I would free up my friends by paying them their salary. Be like, look, you could just you could either work at your 
you know, nine to five job or you can come hang out in a YouTube studio with 3D printers and stuff and just build shit with me and then see if we can come up with a product. Like that would be really fun. So that's kind of my envisioning of what I would do if I was full time in YouTube. I'd be like, use YouTube to pay the bills and then run kind of a more of a maker space, think space that generates some ideas and then we run with it, launch it. If it, it's terrible, it's terrible. If not, we sell cool products, you know, that, that would be, be just ideal. And I just want to work with smart people and my friends and have fun. That sounds so awesome. I know, right? I Wouldn't you want to do that? I just want to free up everyone that I like and just put them all in a room, like smart people, all my smart friends, put them in a room and I just want to see what kind of ideas come out of it and see if we can build something cool and just do that for life, you know? I don't need to be working at someone else's company and fixing their problems. You know, this, like, I like the creative idea of having just a space, just do whatever you want. And there's no pressure because the YouTube would be paying for it potentially. Yeah, I might steal your vision, honestly. Like, <laughs> we can all have a vision. Yeah. We need then more of that. I can come, come work for you. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see who hires who. Yeah, <laughs> it's a race. Exactly. Um, I'd love to end with some rapid fire questions if you're up for it. Okay, we'll go. Yeah. Okay, so what is your absolute favorite book? Okay, this one is The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Okay, she's a queen. You can't dethrone her. It's too good. It's also like in my soul because it was the first book I read after my dad passed. And so it's like ingrained into me. So maybe it affected me more than others. So that's my number one favorite book if you want just like a good read. Though my favorite finance book is I Will Teach You to Be Rich. So if you just want something actionable and help you whip up your life, then that's the book. <laughs> I just listened to that book this week, actually. It's so good. <laughs> it is. What surprised you the most about starting your business or your YouTube channel or both? I think it was the, the surprise that there's other benefits besides money. Because I was kind of in it for, oh, like maybe I can make some money. And the money never came. Oh, it did come, but it didn't come for a while. Mm. So when I say never, I mean the first two years or when I thought it would come. So the advantages of just it being a personal brand, you can use it on your resume, networking, opportunities, working with brands, that kind of stuff, or meeting other YouTubers, like meeting you. That was the thing that shocked me the most. What is a stereotype about engineers that you think is not true? Everyone says engineers are good at math. Not all engineers are good at math. And it really depends on what type of math too. Like there's there's some heat transfer math that's really intense and that I was very good at, but I can't do like off the top of my head random this plus this math. So it's, it's you know, it's give and take. <laughs> not every engineer is good at math. And which project, be it big or small, have you thought about doing but haven't started yet? I have like, I, it's all book related. I've always wanted to write a book. Obviously, I'm going to write a productivity business book. Obviously. Because I've read like hundreds of them at this point. So I'm like, I'm ready for that moment. And I've already come up with a name. I have a list of names and I have a couple of my favorite. So I'm trying to find like a good catchy name and then write it. I don't think I'm there yet. I need like, it's just watching Ali Abdal and his book struggle. I'm like, this is a two-year process, like full time. Um, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait <laughs> until I have some more free time. Uh, yeah. But I really want to do that. A productivity, self-help, business book. And I also want to write a memoir. That one's huge in my mind. I had a really non-traditional upbringing and a lot of challenges in life with financial issues and just moving around a lot and that kind of stuff that I would love to just unpack into a book. It would be almost like therapeutic for me. And I really want to write a textbook. For some reason, in my mind, I'm like, I have to write a textbook because when I love textbooks, when I was in college, it was my favorite part. I just, I would love buying the textbooks and then I would rate which ones were the best. So I really want to write a textbook. I have no idea what I would do it. Maybe on like construction or something, um, but it would be fun. I have lots of pictures and it's very nonfiction. So I feel like I would enjoy it. Last question. And I absolutely love to ask this question. If you had to totally abandon your current engineering career and start a completely different career, what would you do? Okay. Starting a new, completely different career. These are the careers that I thought about the most and genuinely make me question what I'm doing with my life every now and then. So I would love to go into physics, specifically astrophysics. That would be very cool. I'm like, I love space. I feel like that would be something. And it's something I haven't really delved into much. I just know that when I took my couple of physics courses, I was like in love with it. But I thought, who's going to pay me to do that? You know, or math. I always wanted to like prove one of those theorems, you know, but I'd have to dedicate my life to it. And I was like, oh, again, money. The problem with some of these is like I needed money exactly when I got out of college. I couldn't like wait or my parents weren't, they didn't have money. So it's not like they're going to subsidize me going and getting my PhD in mathematics. Like it's just, these were unrealistic. But I sometimes think about it and I'm like, I should go 
do it. So physics, math, um, chemistry, I really loved as well. Uh, the only reason I didn't go into chemistry is because I was worried that it was all research assistants and I didn't want to be like measuring things for the rest of my life. And that could be a total miscalculation on my part. But again, I was going straight for money. That's why I did engineering. You know, it, it is what it is. But I think about I always wanted to go into science and that kind of stuff. So I, I really wish I would have maybe dabbled a little bit more into the hard sciences like physics, math or biology or chemistry or something like that. Yeah. Well, Liz, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for being on the Fresh Engineer podcast uh, for the people. I know. I'm so excited. To... Yeah. <laughs> so for the people that want to learn more about you or connect with you or check out your channel after watching this, where should they go? Um, they can go um, and search into YouTube and type in Liz and then R-O-W-E, which is Rao, Liz Rao. And then I should be the first one that pops up and you can check out some software stuff. <laughs> see see my videos there. Um, so that's kind of like, that's where I post and put the most of my energy into is the YouTube. So I, I like it. And then you've got a YouTube channel as well. Yeah. And you also have classes on Skillshare. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Skillshare courses, classes. Um, and then I got the website. The website kind of just like sends you everywhere. I think it's it's just Liz.org because my channel was originally called It's Just Liz because it's literally just me. <laughs> I thought it made sense at the time, but I switched it to my name now. Yeah. We'll link all of that down below as well. Yeah. So thanks again for being here. Are you as mind blown as me? I just love how Liz sees herself in complete control of her career, which I think we can all take some inspiration from. Her path shows that your engineering major does not define your career as long as you're willing to learn and teach yourself new things. And that having a YouTube channel can even help your engineering career. And I might be biased, but I also think that starting a YouTube channel is the single best thing I've ever done for my engineering career maybe besides studying engineering because it has given me so much confidence the ability to teach myself new things and connections with amazing people like Liz so thank you again Liz Rowe for coming onto the show and sharing your story and if you enjoyed this interview with her you should obviously check out her channel she has lots of great videos about different ways you can learn how to code and one of my all-time favorite videos is her video on the fake semester technique which can help you to teach yourself new things next to your job even after you've left engineering school and you're lacking the learning structure of a semester. You can find the show notes for this episode on freshengineer.io slash podcast slash 10, including links to everything we talked about today. This was the last interview for this season of the Fresh Engineer podcast, but I do have a special season recap episode coming up for anyone who wants to get some personal insights on the show. I'm going to share my favorite lessons this season, reflect on what it was like to start the podcast and share what I have planned next for this show. So make sure you subscribe on YouTube, Spotify or wherever as well as you get your podcast so you don't miss this special season recap episode. I'm also now taking applications for the second season. So if you're an engineer and you want to be on the show, go to freshengineer.io slash podcast slash apply and answer a few questions about yourself and then we'll hopefully talk soon. Thanks for tuning into the Fresh Engineer podcast where fresh engineers share their stories. 